Let's talk hoops. Let's talk crossovers. Let's talk dimes. Let's talk hoops. Let's talk rumors. Let's talk opinions. Let's talk truth. Let's talk future. Let's talk present. Let's talk past. Fundamentals and flash. Me running the flow. Stango running the show like a young Steve Nash. I'd like to welcome all of you to the Great Point Podcast. This is the Great Point Podcast. I'm Adam Stanko. With Kobe Bryant's poetic announcement that he's retiring at the end of the season, he wasn't the only one who had to look father time in the mirror. I, too, had to come to terms with the literal end of my youth. This week, my high school graduating class had our 20th year reunion. I couldn't attend, but it did make me wistful, and it also made me recognize that I am no longer a kid. I graduated from Westchester East High School, which is part of District 1 in southeastern Pennsylvania. Kobe graduated from Lower Marion High School one year later in 1996. Lower Marion, also part of District 1. I first heard about Kobe when I was in high school as a friend of mine told me about a kid on his talented Sunny Hill League team who had a father who played in the NBA and who was dunking on everyone. Kobe's ensuing local notoriety and eventual ascension was something I and those around me took pride in knowing all about. In fact, my mom was a huge fan of the local kid who was making it big. She loved that Kobe took Brandy to the prom, and to this day, she still has Kobe's birthday to commit it to memory. Anyhow, between my reunion and Kobe's retirement announcement, I am feeling old and wanted to reflect. So two of my very best friends are jumping on the podcast today to talk about Kobe and his complicated relationship with the Philadelphia area. Dave McMiniman, who covers the NBA brilliantly, for ESPN.com, went to Radnor High School, which is also in District 1, and Kevin Nagandi, the superstar sports center anchor who went to Phoenixville High School, which you guessed it, also in District 1, gives us the perfect forum to talk about Kobe and his relationship with that Philly area. Uh, guys, how we doing? Dave first, I guess. I'm doing great, and uh, I mean, certainly also feeling old and kind of sowing my oats here. It's incredible to think that you know, Kobe was always the guy who was five years ahead of me, and he was, you know, doing the life stage before me. And now that he's in his late 30s, I'm in, you know, 33, getting up there myself. It's kind of, uh, it makes you take stock of your life a little bit when you have someone like this who's been a part of your life in some level for so long, moving on to another phase. True. Cap, how about I'm for just, you? I'm just stunned that McMenamin's only 33 years old. Like, that's saying a heck of a lot and where he's at in life. Uh, for me, you know, I remember the day Kobe made his announcement. And I was in college. I remember being in the newsroom uh, at the radio station at Temple. And, you know, there were a couple guys talking about, hey, are you going to the news conference? And, and one guy who's now a producer at the NFL Network is like, I'm going. No matter what, I'm going to this. And I, was, I remember at the time saying, is this really that big of a deal? Like, Okay, so he's going to announce that he's going to go pro, but is he really that good? And then, you know, nearly two decades later, we found out he's one of the greatest players of all time. Yeah, it really is pretty unbelievable. And to give some people some history between the connection with the three of us, um, anyone who's been around me, uh, I've closely, I've explained it pretty much in detail, but... Dave and I worked together on a high school sports show. He was an intern at the time, a local high school kid from Radnor. 
Uh, we are working on the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer High School Sports Show, which aired on uh, NBC in Philadelphia. And Kev had worked on the show two years earlier than Dave and I did. Uh, and then we've all sort of come together. And now Dave and, and Kev are doing uh, interviews together on ESPN, which is pretty wild. So, Kev, for you, you didn't get a chance to do any interviews with Kobe while you were with the high school sports show. That was He was right after you, is that correct? Yeah, Adam, literally the year after Kobe left, I then took over as the, uh, you know, weekend, you know, this it was a weekend show, and I was the reporter. I was the game reporter. So I was going to the big game of the week, and um, all I heard were the Kobe stories. Oh, Kobe did this. Kobe did this. A year ago, we were here. We, you know, the the whole crew was explaining to me the phenomenon on covering Kobe and what was that like and that experience, but... I never had the chance to, to you know, talk to Kobe back then. I actually had interviewed his sister, who's a volleyball player at the time. So we had gone to school together, and I knew I knew Kobe that way. But it wasn't on a personal level. the The first time I had the chance to interview Kobe was when I was, you know, uh, filling in for uh, Neil Everett. Uh, in LA for sports center for the week. And that's what we do. You know, sometimes uh, Stan or Neil will go on vacay and we were there for a week. And, and that week so happened to be the week that Kobe decided to come in to the studio right after a game at Staples center and sit down and talk to us. And the cool connection is I knew, I knew Kobe's favorite uh, cheesesteak joint was Larry's right by St. Joe's. I knew that he loved the Eagles. I knew, of course, his sister. And we hit it off immediately. And um, I'll never forget the interview. Everything went well. This was a rare, like, Kobe sighting on SportsCenter coming in to do the interview. Had never done it before. And I remember Stan saying, I am really happy you were with us because you got him comfortable by just talking about the Eagles, his favorite state, uh, state joint, and then talking about his sister and and it just worked out well. And honestly, that was the first time I saw Kobe with his guard completely down. And I know Dave has that experience when he covered the Lakers beat every single day. But I don't think people got the chance to really see Kobe when he's just talking to you. He's a different cat. And you could say that about a lot of athletes, but, you know, he's passionate. He follows a lot of things that you have a connection with, especially it surprised me being a Philly guy that, he was still into the Eagles. He was still in the know of what was going on, and he followed things when it came to Philly sports. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Dave, for you, that experience, first time you saw Kobe? Yeah. Well, Kev, I also, when I moved out to Los Angeles, I was 25 years old, the fall of 2008, after the Lakers had lost that finals to the Celtics. And I'm new to the beat, new to the Lakers beat, trying to establish myself amongst a team that's been together for, you know, a while. Guys like, you know, Kobe and Fish had been there for years. Phil was in his second iteration with the Lakers, but of course had been there for years with his coaching staff. And I go up to Kobe after a game and you, I, I say, you know, I went to, I went to Radnor, uh, you know, Radnor LM, uh, for people listening to the podcast aren't familiar with it. Our two high schools have one of the longest standing rivalries in all of high school football, uh, dating, I think there was the 117th year, uh, that they played a game this past, uh, a couple weeks ago, actually Radnor won. <laughs> uh, but Kobe goes, well, what are you talking to me for? Uh, knowing full well, 
what that rivalry meant. And uh, it only grew from there. Um, there was a, a game in the playoffs where Kobe was celebrating a play with Shannon Brown um, it, to the point where he almost mugged him. I mean, he tackled the guy for making a, a, a big play late in a playoff game the Lakers had against the Denver Nuggets. And in the post-game press conference, which is aired live on ESPN, aired live on NBA TV, I asked Kobe about that 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 play and, and that celebration. He goes, well, you know, this isn't the Central League. It's not like I'm I'm playing against Strathaven. These games matter. And that was a callback joke, of course. Strathaven, another mutual high school that both of our our teams played against and uh you know it was always neat to have that little kernel of connection uh to kobe in my time covering him you know you look back on his high school career and it's wild i remember and why i've always wanted to talk to you guys about this because i'm curious as to your memories about his relationship with the city kobe's junior year he started gaining national notoriety um he had moved to italy when he was i mean he moved to Italy when he was six years old, moved back to Pennsylvania when he was 14. Um, his dad, being an NBA player, played for the Sixers, uh, had gained local fame playing for LaSalle, Joe, Jellybean Bryant. And I always thought that Kobe was treated unfairly by the Philadelphia sports media because he was a suburb kid. And at the time, people didn't realize how good the talent was coming out of the suburbs. And since that time, we've seen Matt Carroll go to the pros. Uh, John Linehan was the NCAA's all-time steals leader. Um, There was a boatload of um, John Salmons who played in the NBA. There's a boatload of talent within southeastern Pennsylvania at the time that wasn't necessarily coming from Philly like it had in the past. And Rip Hamilton as well. Kobe and Rip played each other in uh, the district semifinals his senior year. So my question for you guys, and uh, Kev, I'll start with you. Do you think that, or at what level do you think Kobe was treated differently because he was a suburbs kid and not a city kid by the Philly media? I think you nailed it right there. I I never really sat there and thought about, hey, suburban kid, and that's why that's why they, uh, they're they not covering as well. Now, let's not forget, too, this is the mid-'90s, and and the one and done or the idea of jumping to the pros was still a new concept. So when Kobe was doing it, it was a year after Garnett did it, and I think there was a certain, like, well, who does this kid think he is, you know, making this jump? Let's not forget, too, you know, this was a couple years after Rasheed Wallace and Simon Gratz and the way the city kids were looked at Hey, if you, if you play ball in the city, you're legit. And I, I think you nailed it right there on the uh, people were just not up to date or fully aware of how good the competition translated uh, locally uh, in the suburbs. And also, I mean, I think Kobe came in too. You know, I'll never forget the news conference with the sunglasses on his head. And just there was a certain aura about Kobe of extreme confidence that came off as, well, this kid's arrogant and he's going to get put in his place. 
Yeah, Kev, I wrote about this a couple of years ago, but the name that the city was anointing as the best high school player at the time when Kobe was coming through his junior and senior year at Lower Marion was Donnie Carr, a Roman Catholic. Uh, and I spoke to John Lucas about this, the former Sixers coach who was coaching the, the Sixers at the time when Kobe was in high school, and he actually, John Lucas invited Kobe to come play against his guys, and, and he said he used to get flack around the city, uh, talking to NBA scouts, talking to uh, basketball people, people like Sonny Hill in the city of Philadelphia at that time, and people thought he was crazy for saying Kobe was the better player. Uh, I think there certainly was a stigma from the, the suburb thing, and, and I think the bigger thing, uh, Kevin rightly pointed out, was we weren't used to high school players being uh, NBA ilk at that point. It was foreign. No guard had ever done it successfully. We'd seen guys like Sean Kemp and Moses Malone and Kevin Garnett, big men doing it, but but the thought was a guard has no business going against uh, the men in the NBA, and Kobe broke that mold. And, and to be fair, also, to that point, Lower Marion was always thought of, for people that aren't from that area, and as a rich suburb that couldn't possibly have birthed such a talent. I mean, it, it seemed almost impossible that someone from this rich suburb right outside the city could have possibly had a guy who was this talented that could play on that level and who possessed that toughness. And in a weird way, I always thought that that's what drove Kobe to a certain extent because here was this kid who did have this toughness, who had that inner confidence, that cockiness that you talk about, Kev. His senior year, they started 4-3, and three, and they ended up winning 27 straight games, won the state title. Now, and he became Southeastern Pennsylvania's all-time leading scorer over Lionel Simmons, over Will Chamberlain. And he's gone on, you know, Davey, I want you to tell me about this. Talk about the idea that he sort of let people, let other teams come back on him and have a chance to win games. How much truth yeah. do you think there is to, to that? Well, that theory really got a lot of steam when Phil Jackson posited it. And, and quite frankly, I've been told that that caused a major fission between Phil and Kobe uh, because Kobe for so long has prided himself on his competitive nature, has prided himself on putting winning above anything else, and to suggest that he would intentionally tank games to basically to entertain himself and re-engage himself against the likes of players like myself at Radnor High School and Marple Newtown and Springfield, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've never been told, and I've spoken to Kobe's high school teammates about this. Uh, I've spoken to his high school coaches about this. Uh, all, everyone I've spoken to said that, that that is a false theory, and you know it might have been still taking some liberties with something that didn't really wasn't based in fact at the time. Another thing that's popped up to me, um, I saw Kobe Bryant after his rookie year with the Lakers when he still wasn't an absolute worldwide phenomenon. He hadn't reached that stage yet. Um, in fact, we remember the air balls and such and him as the ball-headed kid trying to make a name for himself in the league. And I saw him, I was with a girl I was dating from college at the time we were we were on South Street, and there was a walk-up food stand, and we were in line, and I and I grabbed her and said, hey, do you know who that is? And here's this guy who's, you know, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, 
seven standing against the wall with a couple of his buddies. And and the streets, the South Street, were packed. It was summer night. And she said no. And I said, that's Kobe Bryant. He, he's a rookie for the Lakers. He was a huge deal around here. And now he's going to be a huge deal in the NBA. And she didn't know much about sports. It kind of looked at me like I was crazy. And I'll never forget that. The cops walked up to to Kobe and his friends, and they said, hey, guys, you can't just be congregating here. Everyone's got to move. And it was only because it was, you know, three or four black guys standing there not doing anything. And I'm laughing to myself because I couldn't believe that that's Kobe Bryant. Like, this cop had no idea who it was, and I always think back to that, that if that happened at this point in time, that cop would be asking for an autograph and a picture for his kid. I remember having that that recollection with Kobe. Kev, Tell me about when uh, when Philly first started to hate Kobe Bryant. Well, you know, I'm fascinated by the evolution of Kobe because I, I always felt like if Kobe, you know, I remember the Lower Marion highlights, the state championship, and, you know, how he played, and I remember seeing the local news covering it, and it was just like, hey, you know, local kid, son of a former uh, NBA player, and, and I think people were like, oh, this is cool. I think people also felt like, well, he's not great, but this is cool. I want to support the local kid. I think it changed when he went out to L.A. And the whole vibe, personally for me, I always felt like there was no real connection uh, that he ever made in Philly to to the people. And, and you know, I think I'm guilty of that, too, uh, growing up I by growing up in the suburbs. And then I realized it was different when I, you know, I went to Temple and being in North Philly day in and day out and understood that, hey, there's a big difference of being a suburban kid and how you're viewed if you're in the city every single day and you understand what the city's like. And, you know, I think there was some animosity, uh, you know, that got carried over where, you know, he opposed a guy like Shaq. And Shaq was a guy that everybody made a connection with. And Kobe was, wasn't Allen Iverson. And let's not forget that because, you know, Kobe in the, the late 90s, same draft as AI. A lot of people would compare it. So a lot of people would say, hey, what if, what if Kobe would have gone number one? And when you play that hypothetical, you know how Philadelphia is when it comes to Allen Iverson. He's an adopted <laughs> son. I mean, if you look back, I think there were some kids – if they, if you told them, well, Allen's not actually from Philly, he's from Virginia, they'd be shocked considering the connection and the relationship that Allen had with the city. And there was always a comparison, well, he's not, you know, AI, because I know AI talks to me. AI's my guy. And then I think it got, it got worse, of course, when we had that in the finals. And, and then Kobe talked about, I want to rip their hearts out. I think the city really got offended by it because they were like, you don't identify with us. We don't identify with you. And the evolution of Kobe, I always find fascinating because there were a lot of people in this city too, like in every major city that went to Sixers games because of Michael Jordan. So there was a buildup of animosity that this guy wants to be like Michael and he opposes Allen. So he's not one of us. And I think it just got worse right. and worse through the years. And then we saw a climax at the All-Star game in Philly when he got booed. And, and that showed that Kobe, Kobe understood, wow, they really don't like me. So I'm kind of curious about what the appearances are going to be like and, and how, how it's going to be written with this, you know, this stop here in Philadelphia. 
the amazing part about the, the quote that Kevin brought up during the 2001 NBA Finals where Kobe comes out and says, I want to cut their hearts out, talking about Philly fans. It was Kobe at a young stage of his career letting everyone know how much of a competitor he was and where he put winning above his family, his friends, et cetera, et cetera, back in Philadelphia. Whereas Michael Jordan, he kind of, whereas people on the inside knew that side of him, his public persona was so manicured and so uh, in line with the, the Nike ad campaign that he was running, he didn't really let people see that as much until his Hall of Fame speech, where a lot of people was like, whoa, who's this guy? Like, where did this come from? Where did this uh, cutthroat competitor come from? And I think Kobe, in retrospect, deserves some credit for being out in the open about the way he approaches games, and the way he approaches a potential championship on the line. And, and maybe Philly fans, retroactively, uh, can appreciate that more because it wasn't about, hey, you know, I don't, I, 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 I'm turning my back on the Sixers and, you know, the team that my dad used to play for. It was all I care about is winning, which, you know, all of us, Kevin, Adam, myself, being long-suffering Philadelphia sports fans, that's all we sure. want at the, end, at the end of the day, too. Dave, I, I wanted to ask you, you covered Kobe for a long time. Obviously, like you said, had a relationship with him in which you both understood the nuances of being, you know, suburbs kids, for lack of a, a better phrase. How much did the fact that he had this reputation amongst fans in the Philly area, how much did that affect him? You know, I think it made him embrace his relationship with Lower Marion High School even more so because that was his safe haven. And just because, you know, I am covering the Cavs now and I've had some experience covering LeBron James, I think you could draw a little bit of a parallel to – when LeBron went to Miami, yeah, Cleveland fans were cursing his name and Cleveland fans were burning his dirties. But Akron, where he was actually from, always had his back. And they were still proud of him and he could still walk the streets of Akron and get a smile and a hug versus, you know, a middle finger and a curse word. And I think Kobe kind of had that same relationship with Laura Marion throughout, even when Philadelphia uh, turned their back on him a little bit. And you saw it in little ways, like he would wear a maroon-colored jacket to the Sixers game that night when Lakers came to town, because that's the, the colors that Lower Marion wore, his high school wore. And, and in little ways like that, uh, he would let his pride be shown. He would, ha- he would come out with a, you know, a specialized sneaker version just for his high school uh, to wear, uh, back when it was rarer to have you know, 50 different colorways for a sneaker to come out. And uh, I, I think it, it, it strengthened his connection with his high school um, during that time. Yeah, how come Rip Hamilton didn't get the same level of uh, scrutiny that Kobe got, considering they were neither one was from the city? That's, that's actually a great point, but I, I also look at – I don't think a lot of people outside of the region ever – they ever identify Rip Hamilton as a kid from Coatesville? I never hear, like, when I hear of Rip Hamilton, I think of, I know, and you guys know, Coatesville kid was very close to looking at Temple, visited Temple, came down to Temple and Yukon and, and all that, and it would have been a local kid staying here. But I, if you go outside of the bubble, I don't think a lot of people identify Rip Hamilton as a kid from the Philly suburbs. And... Yeah. 
that that's the difference though in in personality. Kobe was always a lightning rod. Uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm not sure. But in in this region, Kobe represented something different and something that this city. Listen, when when you look at city hoops, the Big Five, everybody loves the Big Five. Everybody talks about the Big Five, and they identify with city kids. And I don't think they identify with a guy like Rip Hamilton. And and then they looked at Kobe as the villain. And and I I just, I am so fascinated at the evolution of Kobe, too, on who he was, how people viewed him, what he had to go through, what he put himself through when it came to relationships and also with the law to where he is now. And I think the best, and it just shows you the best example that winning is the best deodorant. He is now in complete control of his own narrative because of those five rings, especially the two, one without Shaq. And I think there's that generation where you see Kevin Durant uh, talking about, hey, you know, I watched Jordan when he was with the Wizards, but really I get identify with Kobe as my MJ. I think that's changed too over time where – there is a generation in Philadelphia now that identifies Kobe as being one of the greatest without a grudge. And I, and I guys, you guys know where I stand. I, I used to be old school, still am old school. I view how people view uh, Kobe, I view it as like the rap game, how a generation views Jay-Z as the best, but in reality, you know, in my generation, it was Pac and Biggie or, you know, Rakem, or, you know, when, when we're looking back at things, that's the same way that I identify with Jordan as the greatest. But there's another generation that looks at Jay-Z and Kobe as the best. And I think, uh, I think now the city appreciates what Kobe has done because he's been a winner, and you can't argue with the five rings. You know, Kev, it's funny you say all that because someone once told me that the sports stars that were the best when you were 10 years old are the ones that you'll forever hold as the gods of, of those sports. So I think you're right on point with what you're saying. And my dad and I used to argue because my dad went to high school with Pat Riley, and he used to always tell me, you'll never be around. Um, the kids today are never going to be as good as they were back when I played. And Pat Riley went to my high school, and he was such a better athlete than you guys will ever have. And then, you know, obviously, the Rip Hamilton, Coatesville wasn't far from Westchester, and, and Lower Marion was, wasn't far from Westchester either. And these guys turned out to be much better NBA players than Pat Riley ever was. So it's funny how that stuff ends up playing out. Dave, you, you've been speaking a lot to LeBron James. or got these great quotes from LeBron covering the Cavs. How high does LeBron hold Kobe? in regards to being almost like an idol to him. Well, that was a really revealing quote. And first, I'll, I'll preface this with Kobe had made his announcement on Sunday afternoon, and there was immediate availability with LeBron and the Cavs on Monday, and LeBron declined our request to talk to him. And I've had several, probably a half dozen, off-the-record conversations in the last year with LeBron him knowing that I covered Kobe up, up close, uh, both of us recognizing that we were spending an inordinate amount of time still watching the Lakers just to watch Kobe these last couple of years. And uh, he declined to talk about Kobe which uh, on Monday, which was kind of surprising. But today he spoke at length 
extemporaneously for over 10 minutes about what he meant to him. And now I recognize that he just wanted the day to gather his thoughts because it really meant something to him. Um, his words that he was going to reveal to the world about Kobe. And, and there was one quote he said today, which I think kind of says it all. Uh, I'm going to read you it verbatim. He said, I've always said that my inspiration came from Michael Jordan, but I always thought Jordan was so out of this world I could never get there. Uh, he, he followed, he said, Kobe was someone that I always kind of wanted to be like and play like. And so, you know, for every, anyone who wants to criticize Kobe for his low shooting percentages or for the fact that he ran Shaq out of town or couldn't get any superstar to stay with him late in his career, I think you're missing the point because if you read Kevin Durant's statements this week, you read LeBron James saying that what Kobe was, it wasn't about stats. It was about his inspiration to a generation of basketball players. And the NBA is in a fantastic place right now, uh, probably the best it's been since you know, the late 80s, early 90s, when you had you know, Jordan coming into his own and, and the Celtics and Lakers at the end of those dynasties with Magic and Bird. And the person you're going to credit to, the person who inspired Kevin Durant, the person who inspired LeBron James is Kobe Bryant. And that is really where I think his true importance to the game is is that, yes, individually, he was fantastic, and, and he has the rings and the MVP and the finals MVP, et cetera, et cetera, but he literally set the standard for a, a rebirth and an entire renaissance period of the NBA, and from Durant to LeBron to Russell Westbrook to James Harden, right on down the line, all these players are saying Kobe is the guy that taught them to play the game and taught them to work hard and taught them that you know, they can reach unreachable heights. And, uh, you know, that, that to me is, is Kobe's most important contribution to the NBA. Kev, working on SportsCenter every day, what kind of impact has uh, Kobe had to both ESPN and to sort of pop culture as a, as a whole? He's Derek Jeter. Uh, of the NBA. Uh, when you look at iconic star with a connection to an iconic franchise, I, that's the only way I could make a connection. I'm like, if you look at all the Laker greats in the past, and then you look at all the Yankee greats in the past, and then you see where Jeter stands and where Kobe stands, that's the only way I can identify uh, how similar things have been. I think that's how similar things will be in the next year when it comes to our coverage of, hey, Kobe's last game here, retirement here, um, and and where Jeter was. Let's not forget, you know, a year ago, Jeter was dealing with injury, trying to find out any if he had a year left in any type of consistency. And, and I'm actually looking forward to those moments. Like, Jeter gave us a few, like, are you kidding me? This is happening on you know, his specific day or this is his final game at Yankee Stadium and he's doing this, I'm expecting Kobe to give us those moments. I know he's struggled this year, you know, and trying to find his way uh, consistently, you know, shooting from the floor. But I think there's going to be some nights where he's going to just be able to drop 30 points. And and that could be tonight. Um, And we may not get, like, a great Kobe Bryant for the next couple of days, but every now and then we're going to get those moments where you're like, whoa, there it is. So that's the way I would compare, you know, the 
in bringing up Kobe Bryant, talking about highlights with Kobe Bryant, you know, breaking down film with analysts and Kobe Bryant, comparing him uh, to past players. He is the Derek Jeter of the NBA. Dave, how surprised were you that Kobe made his announcement when he did? Uh, Quite frankly, I wasn't surprised. I I think myself and and a lot of people around the team, we knew this was it. And I don't want to be just like, yeah, pat myself on the back, I knew this was it. But all the signs were there going into this season. Uh, mainly the way the Lakers were embracing this 20th season as if it was final without quite saying final, but Kobe's picture on every single uh, ticket for the season ticket package, uh, the media guide, including a cover with various shots from Kobe's career, uh, the Lakers.com doing a great job with a one-minute daily video this day in Kobe history where they went and scoured through every game of his career and determined the best December 1st of his career and put up a little video, the best November 25th, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I think maybe just the timing of it caught me a little bit of guard at first when I you know, saw the Players' Tribune link being passed around Twitter on Sunday, but then once I gave it two seconds of thought and knowing that this Philadelphia game was coming up, it made perfect sense because, you know, the, the games in Philly matter a great deal to Kobe and the narrative ever since that loss the Lakers had to the Golden State Warriors where Kobe had, quite frankly, one of the worst games of his career and you had people like Stephen A. Smith saying he should just retire right now. Uh, I think he wanted to turn that around. He wanted to savor some of these moments that are remaining and not have that specter of kind of ugliness hanging over uh, these games that he was looking forward to. So to get it out of the way before the Philly game, uh, I, I think made a ton of sense. Who, Dave, do you think is the closest player to resemble the next Kobe that we have in the league right now? Well, just from conversations with Kobe about this, the guy he has kind of anointed and embraced has been Russell Westbrook. Um, More so, I don't think you're going to say that Westbrook has identical game to Kobe. He's not six foot six like Kobe is. Um, he's, he's stronger and bulkier than Kobe was at any point of his career, but he brings it every night, and he has that relentless attacking mentality. Um, Jay Adonde had a great quote a uh, couple of years. Uh, he, he quoted Michael Jordan talking to Kobe a couple of years back in one of the All-Star games they played together, and Jordan's advice to Kobe was, you got to stay aggressive. And Adonde wrote that, you know, it, that didn't really stick in Kobe's head until later on in his career because, of course, he suits up, he's going to be aggressive, but then you start to realize the, the grind that the NBA schedule is and all the travel and the back-to-backs and four games and five nights, and you really have to trick your mind into being aggressive, and I think Kobe sees that out of Russell Westbrook on a night-in, night-out basis. Now, in terms of Westbrook, he's owned one of the finals. Uh, you know, He has no MVP trophies. He has no scoring titles. He has a long way to go to catch up to, to Kobe at this point. Uh, but I, I think he sees his dedication to the game and the mentality as the really the only heir to the throne at this point. Um, you know, I, I know he mentioned other guys he has a relationship with, you know, guys like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and Paul George. Uh, I think all those guys mean something to Kobe as well, but I, I think Westbrook would be the one guy he kind of sees himself in a little bit.
And on the flip side of that, Kev, how much do you think it hurt Kobe as his career was evolving because he was the same size as MJ? He carried himself in similar ways as MJ. His game was almost flawless like MJ. How much do you think that ended up hurting Kobe's you know, reputation for greatness? You know, I, I look at it, you know, the question the question we always, 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 always talk about or hear on Twitter or every debate, who's better, Kobe or, or Michael, or who's the closest to Michael. Listen, Kobe was spot on. I mean, we all knew, if you closed your eyes, they talked exactly the same way. Uh, the way Kobe carried himself, the way he, he, he understood this is the one thing I admire about Kobe. He understood all angles of Michael's game, and that meant, too, being a great defender. And we don't talk a lot about that. Kobe's, you know, aggressiveness on offense, and I think, you know, Dave's spot on with, you know, Russell Westbrook when it comes to the mentality. But, man, Kobe was such a good defender, and if, if Kobe came at a different time, I'm not sure Kobe would be as good as, as he was because he used Michael as the guy that he needed, he needed to compare himself to uh, at all times. And I, and I think that pushed Kobe to be as great as Michael was as great. Uh, the problem that I think, you know, I, to me, the problem is, is that I wish Kobe had more years with Powell when Powell was in his prime and, you know, we could say that Powell maybe was in the middle of his prime when Kobe joined. But I also think that, you know, the early years in Memphis, it would have been great to see Kobe with him a little bit longer, the same way we saw, you know, Michael with Scotty all the way through. And the connection that those guys had. Because I, I really believe they could have won uh, at least a couple more rings together, Kobe and Powell together. And, you know, I, I understand that in the beginning of, of Kobe's time, Shaq was the, the bull. And Kobe, you know, Kobe tried to wrestle that, that mantle away from him and stuff, and he was also benefited by having Shaq in the middle. But, you know, I think it also took a lot out of Kobe to try and fight Shaq while still trying to fight the opponent. And it would have been great to see a, a, a better connection with Kobe and Powell. And I think he probably would have been remembered a little bit differently. Dave, you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, I, I think there's another point to be made, and I think Kobe said it himself, and some people took it like sour grapes, but I think he was talking about the career that Tim Duncan's been able to have and have the stability of Greg Popovich and Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili there for the entire ride and what that's meant to his career and how he's had more of a graceful transition into his twilight of his career than Kobe has, but think of all the turmoil that Kobe, just the, the coaches that he's had throughout his career, starting with Adele Curry and going to Kurt Rambis and Phil's great run, and then no more Phil, and and then Rudy Tomjanovich, and Rudy has to retire, and you get Frank Hamblin, and then you get Phil all over again, and Mike Brown, and Mike D'Antoni, and now Byron Scott, and maybe Phil another time. I mean, it's been... Uh, Rocky would be, you know, a very strong understatement to what his coaching uh, perspective has been like throughout his career. And 
you know, the timing of it, and Kobe has stressed this. Yes, you can compare him to Michael because he wanted to be as good as Michael, but the arc of Michael's career was much more uh, conducive to the team being built around Michael, whereas, you know, Kobe came in with the most dominant physical specimen in the game for 10 straight years in Shaquille O'Neal. And, of course, no matter how good Kobe was, you know, they weren't going to turn the team over to him. And if Shaquille O'Neal in his prime was playing with Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan's career would look a lot different as well. So I think all those factors considered, he certainly maximized um, where he came out uh, on the other side. Now, you know, you in, in retrospect, should they beat that Detroit Pistons team? Um, if Carl Malone was healthy and if, you know, there was a little less selfishness going on between Shaq and Kobe, probably. Uh, were, could they have beaten that Celtics team? I don't think they were quite, quite ready yet. Um, and they didn't, they didn't uh, you know, have a Ron Artest on that roster to, to give them that piece they were missing. So, um, I, again, I, I think he maximized uh, his opportunity he was given. How much, Kevin, do you think this year, maybe even last year for Kobe, will hinder his legacy? Not one bit. I actually, I actually think the last two years, people have appreciated Kobe even more. And and go figure. I I think one of the uh, one of the set-off points on appreciating Kobe, especially his drive and hunger, was how he handled Dwight Howard. And I think, I think people look at Kobe, the people who judged Kobe and, you know, never really gave Kobe a fair shot, I think they look at him a little bit differently because he demanded excellence. And... I think how the whole Dwight Howard saga was handled, we saw that front and center. A a, a guy that wants to win at all costs and that understands the sacrifices that you need to make to win, especially when you have the God-given talent that not many people on this planet do have. And I think that, that extended to the frustration of why Dwight Howard's never got over the top and, and I think the last few years, people have appreciated Kobe even more, um, even though we haven't seen him on the court as often as we expect. So to me, I think the last couple of years, you know, not so much in this, you know, when you look at the box score and you look at the numbers, you look at all the games he's missed. I think people have appreciated the miles he's had on the odometer uh, through the years you know, jumping straight straight into the NBA as a 17-year-old kid and understanding that, hey, it was about time. Your body's going to wear down, but this guy's still doing it and still trying to give his all regardless of the situation. Dave, for you? Well, you know, I wrote a column a couple of years back. Uh, it had to be 2012 or 2013, and comparing Kobe's career post-Phil Jackson retiring, or actually no, post-championship against the Celtics where they won in 2010, so one more year of Phil, and then two more kind of downtrodden years as, as his his Wizards-era Michael Jordan, and uh, it got, word got back to me that, that he was kind of upset 
that I wrote that and he didn't think it was fair. Um, but, you know, quite frankly, everything after the 2010 finals where he wins game seven against the, against the Celtics at home um, has been pretty much forgettable. I mean, he has done some things since then. He passed Michael Jordan all-time scoring last year, and he showed the fortitude to come back three major injuries in the Achilles and in the fractured knee and in the shoulder. But um, I, I, I think when you go through Kobe Bryant's highlight reel, if you stopped in June of 2010, uh, you would be doing a, a pretty strong service. So um, I don't think that that is anything you know negative to say on what these last couple of years have been like. And certainly the Lakers, uh, I think, have positioned themselves as a franchise that values loyalty in today's NBA when that doesn't necessarily exist around the league. And they wanted to give him some back pay with this $48 million extension for all everything he did for them. But, uh, you know, this isn't these past five years aren't going to what you remember about Kobe. It was the first 15. I want to ask you guys each about the, the encore game action memory that you're going to keep with you regarding Kobe. But before I do, because we always hear about those, Dave, you locker room with him. You were there when he's practicing in the gym and no one else is around. Give me a story that exemplifies the work ethic of Kobe Bryant that has become a legend in its own right. Yeah, well, I mean, I wish I could say I was actually here for this story, but it, it was told to me secondhand, and I, I always tend to think of it when this subject of his work ethic comes up. I think it was in the, the summer of 2008 before the NBA, excuse me, before the uh, U.S. Redeem team went over to China. They, they had a training camp or mini camp in Vegas before they went over there, and they had a night session. It was the, the first session that they had um, as a group, and so maybe they, they had a you know a 4 p.m. practice or something like that. Guys stayed in the gym afterwards till you know 7 or 8 p.m. And Kobe stuck around with one of the trainers who was there, who was willing to rebound for him and do whatever drill he wanted to do. And uh, he told the trainer when they were finished, they were the last people in the gym, that hey, I'm going to grab a bite to eat, but I'm going to come back here in a couple hours. And uh, you know, you want to meet me here? We'll do some more work. And. The trainer's, okay, sure, no problem, whatever. They go get a bite to eat, meet back at the gym, let's say 10 p.m., and uh, they go for a solid two, three hours at that point. So we're talking midnight, 1 a.m., and the trainer's, and I guess at that point, Kobe takes a water break. Trainer thinks he's good for the night. See you tomorrow, Kobe, all good. They're supposed to have 10 a.m. practice the next day. You know, put people want to be on time or early, showing up around 9 a.m., trying to put in a good um showing for Coach K and his staff, and, and the trainer comes back, say, around 8.45, 9 a.m. Kobe's there, full sweat, going through footwork drills by himself on the court, and he goes, oh, man, you're already going, man. Uh, what what time did you get here? I mean, I, I you know, we worked pretty hard yesterday, and Kobe goes, I never left. <laughs> and, uh, that, whether, whether, you know, Kobe's literally doing drills all throughout the night or, uh, you know, or whether he's going to go in the locker room and fall asleep on one of the couches for a couple hours. Uh, the fact that that was the first day of their first camp leading up to what was such an important 
Olympics where you t- talk about the, the place of American basketball and where that standard is in the world. And Kobe wanted to be the one guy letting everyone else know how much work is required or should be required for us to get back to that level. Uh, I think that says it all. Well, I know Kobe keeps up at the same time with Tim Thomas, who was a star in New Jersey, and Tim Thomas was rated by almost everyone as the better high school player up until the very end of their senior years when people started to turn. Tim Thomas obviously spent a little bit of time at Villanova. Tim Thomas's career ended in 2010 fairly uneventfully. And we've seen what, what Kobe has done, and I, I have to think so much of that has to be chalked up to his work ethic. On the court, in games, Kev, what's going to be your resounding Kobe memory? There are a couple. Obviously, the Raptors game when he, when he dropped 81. Um, I, I always thought that King series was so big for Shaq and Kobe. The Portland dunk, you know, with the Shaq hand, like those are the games and those memories that, that will, that will always stick with me. His face after, you know, winning that fifth one, because, you know, and Dave would know probably more about this, but that, that, that felt like a satisfaction of, Hey, I'm one behind Michael, but I got one more than Shaq. And, you know, we knew, we knew about that, that rivalry. Those are the moments that, that I'll always think about. With, with Kobe. And, you know, I always felt like, you know, at the All-Star Games, he was fully aware of, let's put on a show. I know Mike used to dominate these games. I'm going to dominate. And I'm going to play hard while a lot of these guys are going back and forth and taking their time. I always felt like, too, that there was a point, guys, you know, in the early part of the 2000s where there was a big debate on Kobe versus Tracy McGrady. And who was better? And, and, and people would make arguments about T-Mac and, and maybe T-Mac's better defensively. You know, let's not forget, you know, if he wants to really play, he could be a really good player. You know, I, to me, the separation that Kobe, Kobe always had another gear. And I know you asked me about a specific memory, and I mentioned a few games. I want to say this one thing, though. For the last 20 years, I've thought about this every now and then that what is a guy like Kobe going to do when there's no basketball? Because we know about Mike and we know about how competitive Mike is and how he found like an outlet golf and, you know, and he likes to play cards. We never, and Dave maybe may have a little bit more to talk about this because I know there were side business ventures that Kobe has, but what is a guy like Kobe going to do when, when basketball has been his life, the only Thing front and center outside of his daughters, and I and I'm really curious to see what that's going to be like outside these these games and how he's going to handle things. Yeah, Kev. I mean, I had a chance to speak to him about this a little bit. I did a, a sit down with him when he was going through his Achilles rehab, and the guy is a voracious consumer of media. Uh, he's someone as a beat writer. We always knew he was reading our stuff, but it goes beyond just reading sports writing he is a netflix junkie uh sitcoms etc etc and you know starting with his showtime documentary muse he has basically made it be known that he wants to tell stories 
uh, mostly I think a, a visual video medium moving forward. He has a uh, a documentary crew uh, that have been with him every step of this last season and that will continue to be, and I assume that will be his next project that we'll see, if not his next one, a future project that we'll see and put his name to. Uh, but I'm just not so sure. The funny thing about Kobe is that where he's been so competitive, uh, he doesn't engage in other sports that he's not good at, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Like, he, he doesn't mess with golf. He doesn't mess with ping pong because he can't beat people in them. Uh, so he has, you know, he plays soccer. Uh, it, it, that was, dates back to his childhood, and, and you could see him in maybe some exhibition games of that nature. But uh, I don't see him going through another athletic endeavor. Um, to fuel that competitiveness because quite frankly he's admitted that he's he's too frustrated um to to play uh, something else where he didn't feel like he could be the one who was the best at it i will say this i saw him on inside the nba maybe five six years ago and he was breaking down how he handles end of game situations and I'll never forget, he talked about how when he's dribbling the ball up at the top of the key, he can see the game clock above the 24-second shot clock and have a sense of how much time is left on the floor. And he said he loves to give, like, a hesitation dribble to make his defender think that he's going to go up with a shot a couple seconds before the game is actually going to end, simply because he knows they can't, they can't defend it because they don't know how much time is left. And I thought that insight was so honest and revealing and detailed that I just thought this guy, if he ever decides to go into broadcasting, will become a spectacular broadcaster. Kevin, you share that same thought? Adam, I think he could own the business. Uh, you know, and he'd be the opposite of Charles, where he would be as entertaining as Charles is, but then we'd actually have a breakdown of a specific play or a scouting report on a specific team. And I think he'd be so good at it. He, he would remind me of the transition if Peyton Manning ever went to the booth. Because um, Kobe's awareness, uh, no one could touch it. And it's the same way that Peyton has it when he walks into a room. He's aware of everybody around without letting on. He could just measure up everybody. But to be honest with you, I, I would I would think that his talent would go to waste. Uh, the way the way shows are now, the way you know we need like a, a twenty second you know blip, or the way TNT TNT does the best job studio wise. But you don't get a lot of breakdown. You get you know you get Kenny running to the big wall and doing his stuff, and he'll do one play, and then they'll come back and Shaq and and, and Charles will riff on that. I, I think if you put Kobe in that environment, you may get great stuff. The problem is you're maybe getting it 10 to 15 second cliff notes version where if we got a minute breakdown, it, we would be like, wow, this is fantastic. And I don't think we would get Kobe maximized to his talent, even though he'd be the best studio analyst around the minute he walks into a studio. I think he's that smart and that good. Is something you think he wants to do, Dave? I, I really don't. I, I, certainly not full-time. It's certainly not right away. I, I could see him having 
his hand in it at some point, you know, through back channels. I was told years ago um, when I was covering the Lakers and ESPN 710, the radio station in Los Angeles that had the rights to the Lakers games, that Kobe was kind of testing the waters to see if he could potentially have a radio show in uh, on our station back then. Um, it never came to fruition, but he certainly had that inclination. Uh, you know, this is another thing. The, the greater life goal of Kobe's, and I don't know when or exactly how this could occur, but based on Kobe's background, having grown up, grown up in, in Italy, and you even saw it in his you know, retirement press conference, or announcing his retirement press conference, he answered questions in Spanish and Italian and English throughout the course of that 25-minute presser. Uh, he has a keen interest in breaking down barriers internationally and globally. And there is some part of him, and the, the name that was told to me that he is impressed with is Bono. And how Bono, yes, he is this excellent rock star, and U2 has been relevant for 30 years, but he has almost become more of a global ambassador uh, where he takes up a cause and he has ways to leverage all his relationships amongst politicians and musicians and entertainers uh, to bring awareness uh, and, and to try to create some social change. Uh, Kobe has aspirations of, of fitting into that type of role moving forward, and there is no set path to make that occur. Uh, but based on his upbringing internationally and, and just the little things he does, like he invites kids from different parts of the of the world to come to his basketball camp in Santa Barbara every every year for free so they can get to know Americans the same age when he was an American trying to get to know Italians and forge those lifelong relationships. That is kind of somewhere on, on his back burner of something he'd like to delve into as he uh, you know, progresses from being a professional athlete. Really cool. Well, one thing I know for sure about Kobe is that I will always always cherish his love for the game of basketball. I don't know that we've had a player in the last 20 years that absolutely loves the game and has a passion for improving not just his own abilities but his own knowledge of the game and others who have come before him. Uh, as, a, as a fellow hoop head myself, I, I have great, great appreciation for that. Guys, I also have great appreciation for you. Thank you so much for jumping on, Dave, Kev. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I hope we can do it again soon. Adam, thanks for having us on, man. Yeah, maybe we do it again in April. I mean, we could probably all talk about Kobe for a week straight. <laughs> Dave, you can send him one version. I'll send him another, but we can each send Kev a, a Kobe Bryant jersey for Christmas. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, make sure it's a large so it can fit, fit over the Iverson jersey and the Julius <laughs> Irving one. <laughs> Will do. All right, thanks, fellas. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Well, there you have it. Two of my favorite people in the world. Two very intelligent, very thought-provoking, and interesting takes on Kobe Bryant, his relationship with the Philadelphia area, as well as his, his wonderful career. So hats off to Kobe Bryant, and thanks again to Kevin Nagandi and Dave McMiniman. Again, you can catch... Dave McMiniman on ESPN.com. Of course, you can catch Kevin Nagandi every morning on SportsCenter. Both of those guys, 
are also on Twitter. You can catch me, Adam Stanko, on Twitter at NaismithLives, and you can catch this podcast on Twitter at GreatPointPod. Really appreciate you guys listening. Subscribe to us on iTunes, and we'll catch you next time.